Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of Tag the Roll. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Jake Rose. And Jake, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, the most bittersweet game in college basketball, which is always the national championship. <clears throat> um, it was really fun, honestly. It kind of looked like it could get out of hand at, in the first half, but Kansas fought back. The game was tied multiple times within the last, like, 11 minutes. Um, so can't really ask for much else. Came down to the last possession. So I'm ready to talk about it all. Yeah, no, it was really fun. Like like you mentioned, it looked like uh, like it was just kind of cooked. Um, even with, con- with even with like, a likely concussion, Brady Manic was still just shooting the lights out. And <laughs> it looked like it was going to be over at halftime. Uh, really good game, man. Um, I guess we can start with uh, – I mean, let's just start with Kansas because – a, Dewan Harris was insanely good. I posted the, uh, the Spider-Man meme with him and uh, and Mario Chalmers. Um, like, I, <laughs> I swear to God, Kansas, my entire life, has always had a, a menacing lockdown defender at the point who can set some stuff up in the half court. And as a shaky shooter, um, I mean, 
Dewan Harris now, Mario Chalmers, Marcus Garrett, like just the, the list goes Dotson. on and on. Like even yeah, Frank Mason was that. like a shaky ass shooter too. Um, like it's the list goes on and on. Uh do you think I mean I don't I don't have the numbers right in front of me. How many transition points do you think Kansas scored? Because it felt like it was half their damn offense. So I tried to find synergy didn't break down uh the game yet. Like they showed the film mm-hmm. up, they didn't break it down like into play types. I tried to find stuff, I couldn't find anything because I was like incredibly certain, like you said, at least half their offense came from transition. It felt like when they were in the half court, uh they had nothing. And that was kind of what flipped the game on its head in the second half is Dewan his point of attack defense against RJ Davis kind of took UNC out of their entire offense. They forced Caleb Love into taking ill-advised pull-ups and they got super stagnant and then they got stops and getting stops allows you to run and Kansas, where were they running in the second half to, to start that game? Um, which was just a complete opposite of what we saw towards in the first half when North Carolina was, I mean, North Carolina was willing to run. Um, it wasn't like necessarily they were staying out of transition, but North Carolina was scoring and they were getting back and forcing Kansas to play against a set defense. And and I think uh, that showcased a lot of flaws, as we've spoken about. Um, I mean, I think in the Kansas, it wasn't necessarily anything new. I mean, the first half, we were just like, this is sort of the team we've watched all year. I think it was a lot of what we talked about in the Creighton game, um, when Creighton kind of forced them to play in the half court. And uh Dewan was really struggling in that game offensively and Ochai and Brown were struggling as well to create and they kind of just gutted it out through Remy Martin performance. Eerily um, similar again in the second half. But uh, yeah, I think this Kansas team, like we kind of knew who they were and it was a tale of two halves again for them. Yeah, no, it's funny too. I don't want to say this is like what changed the game, but Leaky Black getting into foul trouble really hurt UNC um, because not that, I mean, UNC has really been predicated on being able to play big this year. Um but that I mean, I don't want to say that they're not athletic or anything like that, but they don't have like the same kind of wings um, that Kansas is able to really put out there. And I think that's a lot of the difference. Um, like even Jalen Wilson didn't score well yesterday, but like even then he was really damn good at pushing the break. I mean, Kansas ran a super small lineup with Jalen at the five um, that started to open some things up, too. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a yeah, we're, we're in lockstep with that. There's just a lot that, that made it harder on, on UNC as the game went on, especially as as Kansas was able to lock in defensively. Yeah, dude, I think like UNC even having, I think I tweet this and I mean, so you like to reply like UNC being in that game with the way their guard shot. If you would have told me the guards would shoot what I think it was like 10 for 40 or something like that. And yeah. one of 12 from three, if you would have told me that before the game, I would have told you they were lost by 20. Uh, there was yeah. no scenario in which I could fathom them having a real shot at this game, let alone leading for the majority of it. Um, and which is kind of just testament to like they kind of just figured it out. Uh, whether it was like Baycott didn't this was necessarily dominant either, but you know, they made shots. They made the shots that really mattered in the first half. Every three that they got was like that was like a potential big swing shot. They hit it, and uh, it just it was a fun national championship game. Um, but Dewan Harris deserves all the credit. And then I I've been eating a lot of shit for the past uh, twelve hours as my Remy Martin takes have been coming full circle as um, I was rooting for UNC and boy, was he incredible during the stretch. I'm um, just ridiculous shot making stones. Um, he gave them the creation that they lacked on the half court and showed up absolutely big time in the biggest moment of the year for them. And he was a monster defensively of points too. Like he was like mm-hmm. killer. I mean, it was weird too. I don't want to like totally undersell things, but um, just a really rough Caleb Love game. Like, he didn't seem right. I think it felt like his ankle was bothering him at times, too, especially when he tried to get inside. Um, 
but five for 22 is just painful. Um, and the passing wasn't really there either. So, I mean, that it's, it's just tough because he had such a damn good tournament run, like really put everything together as, as a shooter. Um, and it just, you know, good things fall apart at times. So it'll be interesting to see him back next year. Um, or if, if he comes back next year, I guess TBD on that. I don't know if I didn't see anything on him declaring last night or anything, but, Mm-mm. um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I do have to say that Remy Martin, like, I think he was in, uh, I want to say it was in the far slot, uh, in the second half and hit that like fading to his right, like cross-legged step uh yeah. step back. That was like that was like the shot. I was like, oh, okay, Kansas is probably gonna win this game. <laughs> like that was nuts. I mean, and like Remy Martin in the first half, like looked like an absolute mess. Um, was like hesitant on a catch and shoot three that he had banked his first make was a bank in three. Um, I, I thought he took a couple of long twos, and I'm sitting there with my friends, and I'm like, let's let's keep throwing, let's keep throwing. And then in the second half, um, boy, did those takes age like yeah. spoiled milk. Yeah. Um, the shot making, as I said, um, but I mean, I do want to give a ton of credit to Dewan Harris as well. Like he, the point of attack defense in the first eight minutes, 10 minutes of that second half um, was just absolutely it was game he was a monster. I thought, what do you force? Like yeah, absolutely four, it felt like he forced like three or four turnovers in that, in that yeah. stretch. Maybe I more. mean, yeah. And, and just also things that won't show up in the box score. Like it, you, it felt like UNC wasn't even really starting their possessions until 15 or 12 on the shot clock because they would spend the first half of the shot clock trying to get RJ Davis the ball before they realized, oh, let's just not go near Dewan Harris. And then when RJ got it, um, Dewan did get away with a couple Swipes on the arm, and, <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, which friendly calls on him or non calls, you should say. But, um, the ball pressure, the intensity, the hands, the quick feet. Um, one of my favorite players in, to watch in college basketball, not necessarily from a draft perspective, but just to enjoy. Um, and glad he kind of had a moment there. But fun game. Um, you want to talk about the prospects for a little bit because I think yeah. we noted, uh, not the best prospect showing. Uh, I was kind of thinking back, like, when, when was the last time we had like a crazy uh, prospect game in like the national championship. And then I was like, Oh, 2019 Jarrett Culver and Deandre Hunter, um, which was like a big primetime matchup. We didn't really have the star power there uh, in this game tonight, but Kansas does have two projected first round picks, I think in Christian Brown and Ochai Baji. Um, You want to talk about them? Yeah. Um, So it I don't want to just sound reductive, but like my mind just really hasn't changed on any of this with, with them as the tournament's gone on. Like um, obviously Ochai had that monster game. What was that? Sweet 16 when he was nuts. Um, I the final four. Sweet about that. Yeah. Final four. Yeah. Okay, final four. Final four um, but I, I don't want to just say it was hot shooting. We'll get into it. But like, um, mm-hmm. I mean, even yesterday you saw how much, it, outside of straight line drives and even on some of the straight line drives, he had some real handle issues, um, which I don't know. I mean, part of that's like uh, we're, we're always going to get it with the with the national broadcast. But like, uh, you know, Ochai Agbaji just needs to take over this game. Like, when is Ochai Agbaji ever taken over the game by just going into isolation? Like, that's not his game. That's not who he is. That's not what he does. Um, so I didn't I mean, I, I will say defensively. He was fun. I think he he got beat a couple times, but like he had the the pin was, on on Caleb Love was like so, oh man, yeah he had some loud defensive plays. Like he had the pin against Caleb Love. He had a really good peel in pick and roll coverage mm-hmm. where he like got her on the screen and then peeled off to 
to the role and Caleb being ill-advised pass, but good play on Ochai. Um, he had a really questionable missed X out um, to Brady Manic that I clipped this morning, uh, which uh, which was not pleasant to see. And I, and, and he had another bad gamble. Um, I think like Ochai has some really good moments defensively. And then you want to lean in. You're like, you don't make those plays if you're not like a plus wing defender, but then there are just other, some mind boggling plays. Like I think it was sort of represented on that. And like, he had some really high end plays and then he had some really questionable plays. Like the, the other one I'm talking about was you know, there was, he was kind of sinking down as his man relocated to the opposite corner and they threw an entry pass to Baycott and McCormick's fronting. And like, he knew it was his responsibility, but in, and he anticipated it. He moved on the right timing. And instead of just walling up and going straight up and contesting, and maybe Baycott makes it anyways, but you stay home, you stay solid. He goes to try to gamble for the steal, misses, and then Baycott got a layup. Um, so just like a wide array of defensive plays. But yeah, the pin was fun and he also had some steals. Um, but it definitely something to track. It's just like the varied, um, the variance in like his plays on, on defense. No, for sure. And like with some leeway too, like it's the national championship mm-hmm. game. Like it's, I don't know. I'm sure there, there's gotta be nerves and stuff involved too, but um, yeah, I'm definitely there with you. Um, but yeah, offensively, are you kind of in the same boat? Like I felt like, um, I mean, UNC was able, especially when, when Leaky was playing um, like as, as we'll talk about with the final four too, like Leaky black was probably the best defender. It felt like the best defender in the tournament almost at some points, at least on the wing. Um, like some of the stuff he was doing was awesome. AJ Griffin knows, um, but I mean, yeah, where are you at with how Ochai looked offensively? Yeah, I'm, I'm completely in lockstep with you in that sense, like nothing really changed. Um, <clears throat> and I think <clears throat> and when we look back on this, everyone will point towards the final four game as like the poster game for Ochai. And I'm not sure what it is. I have to circle back and go through some notes, but it's not that, uh, like as we will get into, like it was a lot of spot shooting. The first three was pretty wild. Uh, like to come out of the gates, like that, even you said, the final four national championship, you're shooting in one of the largest football stadiums in the world and tw- 20 seconds in, you just come off and like completely turn your body, not even looking at the rim and just gun it and hit on that. Like I, it's, you, you don't want to fully extrapolate things like that, but not a lot of shooters are doing that. I'm like, that's pretty noteworthy from a wiring perspective to me. And that continued throughout that game. But Villanova's, as I tweeted yesterday, Villanova's defensive coverages were like really shitty in that game. Um, Complete overhelping, strong side corner, shooting the gap on pin downs, just like everything that you don't do against shooters, especially when they're hot, they did. So it was kind of just like spot shooting practice stuff in a football stadium. I hit a couple, you know, put nice pull up. And as I said, uh, that first one was pretty nuts from a shot prep perspective, but I, I mean, I was impressed with him as a shooter. Like he has real versatility and he does, he is no conscious and it's like has a quick trigger and kind of stands out in contrary to someone like Christian Brown, who we've been both been begging to shoot more. Um, and I think Ochai like, has flashed, like he had a nice one drill pull up in the, in, towards the end of the first half last night. Um, good straight line drive against Puff Johnson. But as you said, it's it's more simplistic stuff, but I think it's, that's what you're getting from Ochai. Uh, you're not, you're, you're not getting a secondary creator. You're just getting a complimentary wing who a lot's going to rely on the shooting, but there's reason to be optimistic after uh, the season he's had, especially how he closed out. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's transition to talking about Christian because um, he had a very rough start to the game yesterday, smoked like three layups at the rim, um, but then was really damn good defensively. I thought I thought he had a better game than yeah. Oshad defensively, even if he, again, wasn't as loud, but um, was just really good. 
in in shutting down his man, uh, playing off the ball too. But then in transition, he was an absolute force uh, as the game went on, which is again that's that's kind of his thing. Like if it's, uh, I think I said you, I don't I don't remember what the meme was yesterday, but I said you like you know if he's not in transition. Uh, <laughs> It's like, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> like you know, him taking yeah. another shot. And uh, I don't know, like the shot hesitancy continues to be a thing, which is frustrating. Like, I, I don't, again, it's not this uh, boiled down and reductive, but legitimately like to me, if Christian were as willing of a shooter as Ochai, I think he's a better prospect. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I, um, I, I, by the way, I don't think that's like a question. Well, it just, it just feels reductive. Well, down like that. Yeah. Cause it's a very real thing. Like, um, but that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about because I feel we've talked about Brown and Ochai a ton, but like with, mm-hmm. with Brown, how, how hesitant does it make you that he's hesitant? Like how, like I, we uh, had this, like obviously it wasn't mm-hmm. to the same degree last year, but like we did this with Franz and I know I was, it's very different too. Like, I feel like Franz wasn't, he, he was not this bad in my opinion. Um, but it is like, it definitely, it definitely begs the question. Yeah. I, it's, it's actually been one of the things that, and I think it's probably one of the more difficult things for people like us where you're not able to get access to like direct interview with the player. And but like mm-hmm. the weird thing is that like every every other aspect of his wiring and his demeanor is it's very the complete aggressive. opposite of a hesitant shooter. Yeah. Like I love how passionate. I mean, we saw the clip yesterday yeah. of him just yeah. like losing it, which is hilarious. But like he plays with a ton of fire. Like he doesn't back down from anyone. And it's just all these wiring traits that are completely the antithesis of a hesitant shooter, especially someone who's damn good at it. And like, so it doesn't really just make, it doesn't make sense to me versus like Franz, you spoke to people that were like close situation. It's like, yeah, he just like kind of does whatever coach tells him to do. And like, he's rather like obedient. And Franz was comfortable being a connective tissue piece for Michigan. And like, yeah, Franz has the, like, I'm going to punch on you mentality, but like, CV is probably even more aggressive and like fiery than him. So it's really something that I think he's going to be an interesting case study. Like why, what's stopping an NBA coach from telling him just like shoot the damn ball every time you're open is Bill Self telling him that now? I don't know. Um, I don't know. And it's like definitely going to be something I want to like try to circle back with like, was this thing in high school or AAU? Um, because other than that, like the thing with Brown is he is going to need to shoot it at a high level to me. Yeah. Um, I, he's listed at six seven. I don't think he's six seven. I think he's probably more like as a two, maybe three size. I like the defense, as you mentioned. He was good at point of attack, stayed solid, um, has a good frame, and is a real, very real athlete. But um, the creation stuff isn't necessarily there in the half court. Uh, Brady Manic gave him some trouble at point of attack on multiple possessions, um, and you know he got walled off in the half court. Um, so it's a little bit more theoretical again, when he's in the open floor, using that athleticism, getting all the way to the rim and capitalizing on that. But I do think he really is going to need to shoot it considering the slashing slash creation and like playmaking aren't necessarily super high level, but like good enough if he's in a shooting role. Yeah. So I'll say like the, obviously like we've talked about the connective playmaking is really good. Like I think he's, he's good at making passes from a standstill and whatnot, but like, it's more just, Okay, uh, like we talked about with the Creighton game, like, I mean, he could not get into the paint at all. Um, struggled a lot with turnovers. Um, and I think we saw that multiple times throughout the tournament as we have throughout the year. So it's, again, just kind of the same thing. Like, if he really shoots it, I'm super interested. But until then, I'm not sure what else to to really go off of with that. 
Um, you mentioned Brady. I have, Brady a, I have a quick. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I have a quick thing for you because, and we're going to talk about him later because he had a really good game in the final four. Um, mm. Where are you at with someone like Trevor Keels versus Christian Brown? Because I think they're very similar in in the role that you would like them to play. Brown's a little bit bigger and obviously a more springy athlete, but in terms of a complementary guy who ideally is going to space the floor and can attack closeouts and maybe run some second side actions. Uh, I think Brown's head is a shooter, especially in terms of, well, in terms of efficiency. Um, I think Keels was definitely more willing. Keels, I would say, is a better creator, but maybe with a tougher projection considering the athletic limitations opposed to Brown. Uh, where are you at with that? Because I think that is a, a kind of fascinating comparison. Yeah, I feel like this is something where like age comes in a little bit because it's like if because uh, we've talked about this a bunch too. Like I think if if they were the same age, maybe I would feel more leaning in towards Christian Brown. But like because the hesitancy thing has been an issue for a little bit now, like it's it definitely is like yeah, you know, it, it's something that gives you pause. But for me with Keels, like knowing that he has like the very real um project like the the very real background as as an elite shooter um i think i'm more willing to buy into that almost uh because if he's able to really lean into that and we saw again like you mentioned with the willingness this year um like he was arguably the second best playmaker not arguably i mean i think he was for most of the season was probably the second best playmaker on duke um at least at getting downhill because i mean powell's game opened up but it was mostly wendell more for them this year but um, like his ability to get inside. And it, again, like even like we'll talk about him too, but he was really fucking good in the final four with some of the craft finishes he had on the inside and just his ability to um, to affect the game in the half court. So I do think I would probably be a little bit more in on Keels. And he's somebody who I, I released like a, a mock on my Patreon uh, last week. And I think after thinking about it, I sh- I'm, I'm higher on Keels than I had him originally. Like I think, you know, like thinking about it more, more uh, in terms of like taking into account some of um, – his pre-college sample and um, just noting what he does as a prospect. Like, I think I, he's somebody I should be higher on, but yeah, that, that's, that's where I'd be on it right now. What about you? You know, I agree. I think I'd tag kills as well. I just think that the creation is more real, even if on paper or projection wise, it's not as seamless of a transition, right? Like you were prone to bet on the athlete, but I think, Kills is a better handler and just kind of knows how to use his tools. Uh, like he in the final four game, especially, and I don't want to fully, I, like, I don't want to fully talk about it now, but like he wasn't, wasn't like he was generating standstill advantages and getting all the way to the rim. He was using his frame, creating a little bit of space and relying on touch and playing through the strength and touch combination has some finishing craft. Obviously he's going to need to shoot it. And um, I think that's like abundantly clear. And I, I think, NBA team is probably going to put a lot of stock into the workouts and how he shoots there. But I, I do like the willingness. Uh, I think the secondary playmaking is much better than Brown. Uh, obviously, Brown offers some more athleticism, some open floor stuff. But I, I just want to pose a question because I do think they're guys who are like going to play some role. But you want to talk about Brady Manic? <laughs> yes, yes. I was hoping we did. <laughs> um, I did not expect Brady Manic to just come out and be a, like a, an incredible rim protector yesterday. Like, he was really good. Like, um, I don't, I think there are some people getting a little bit uh, amped up about Brady Manic's trap stock. I don't, based <laughs> on anything that I've heard, seen in my own opinion, I don't think he's really a draft guy, but I mean, he's somebody who's going to get a shot because of how good of a shooter he is. Like this tournament, I, I mean, he was the best shooter in the tournament, felt like just about, like had to be close. Um, I mean, he, he had some wild shit off of movement. Um, it felt like at times, like not that he was UNC's best player, but he came up really big for them in a lot of moments that they just didn't have anybody else who was going to do that. 
Um, but again, defensively yesterday, I was like, I was kind of blown away. I was not very ready for it. Yeah. No, I mean, he was, by the way, I don't know how he like survived. Uh, he was, he was a punch. I swear to God. Yeah, man, he <laughs> His eye, he went like, whoa. I mean, like that. By the way, I'm I am glad that uh, the refs didn't call that a flagrant. Like totally, yeah, it was clearly not not, not and, and like I'm glad that they didn't conflate uh, the force in which he got hit with with something like an intention, like completely just freak accident. But boy, did that look like it hurt. Um, yeah. And then he called another one a few minutes later, and I'm just sitting there with my friends, I was like, oh my god, like where? How does this guy know where he is? Uh, but he he stayed steady for them and was really good all night. Uh, you want to talk about uh, UNC's probably best long-term prospect, at least it looked last night, uh, Puff Johnson? Yeah, go for it. He was fun. He was super fun. And uh, when they needed a big boost, it's it's really funny. You see, like, just little plays, especially for someone, a young guy on that stage. Like, he, I mean, he got in the game, and he was given the good minutes from the jump, but looked a little bit overwhelmed. Obviously gets that put back right before half, and you can just tell that kind of, like, just – he was a young guy in that stage, just a little confidence boost. And he came out playing in the second half. Uh, Leaky was in foul trouble, which, as you noted, like would typically – and did give them certain trouble. Obviously, Puff did good things, but didn't – like they're – didn't fully fill all the gaps and what Leaky brings to the table. But uh, hit a big-time three, really good finish uh, through contact and at the rim in transition. Uh, obviously, Cam's little brother, so six eight shooter. It doesn't take very long to see the resemblance in just terms of looks between them. Um, and they were, but didn't he looked, Cam wore fourteen at UNC. Cam wore he either thirteen or fourteen. I, I think it was fourteen. I can't remember because I remember they it had the same hair now, at UNC too. Because Cam, had, yeah, 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 the same type of fade. Um, yeah, um, I don't have like a ton to add on to that, but he was definitely interesting. Um, it was cool to see just the way that he played. Sucked that he uh, like literally exhausted oh himself and vomited <laughs> on court. <laughs> uh, been there, uh, not fun. Um, but yeah, no, he played a, he played a good game. He was fun to watch. Uh, I, I felt a lot for Armando Baycott. Like, I don't, again, like other than Brady Manic, who else got the shit kicked out of them more this tournament than Ar- Ar- Armando Baycott? Um, mm-hmm. Hope that he's feeling okay today. I think that it was it the same ankle that he injured in the final four, or was it yeah, a different that, ankle? Yeah, same, same ankle. ankle. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, he was somebody too. Like, I I really even enjoyed watching him in this tournament. Like, he just mm-hmm. like, in my opinion, like not like. I mean, somebody who will probably get like a summer league deal or something at some point, but um, just a really fun player to watch. Like, he leaves it all out there. Clearly, that that uh, one of the best rebounder performances I've seen uh, was I thought it was Oscar Shiway for a second in the final four. Um, shout out to the national player of the year, Oscar Shiway. But um, yeah, no, this this UNC team was really fun, man. I was just going to say, I want to give a quick shout out to the UNC team, because like especially last night, you have Caleb Love tweaks his ankle on like just to come again complete freak accident no one's near him and he just takes a bad step he's clearly not 100 percent um we're taking a guard who is obviously already lacking in vertical explosion and putting a bum ankle on him in some retros probably not the most ideal situation uh leaky blacks in foul trouble puff johnson's throwing up on the court brady manic is likely in another dimension mondo is clearly hobbled and they just like almost gutted the thing out and um obviously you know, get it got to give credit kansas the, the national champs but um at unc 
and they run they had um and it was really they you know they almost won the game despite not doing what got them there which was nuclear shooting every game leading up to that it was just nuclear pull up after pull up after Brady manic relocation three with a hand in his face and that stuff all kind of betrayed them other than a couple of Brady manic threes love and RJ weren't there and still despite all the injuries despite all the tough shooting almost found a way to get it out and like gave us a damn good national title so definitely want to give a shout out to the UNC team uh, for that definitely well you want to move to talk about the final four now yeah because as I said before in the pre-show like it kind of feels like forever ago at this point but uh, despite the Kansas Nova game turning into like a 15 point win, I thought it was a good game. And like Nova hung around and then came back with some real punches um, on the rewatch. There were a really couple moments where it felt like they could have really like won, not won the game, but like made it real, real close. There was one where they were down, I think down like seven and Caleb Daniels or Brandon Slater had like an F3 that went in and out. And then all of a sudden they're like eh, a four point game with eight minutes left. Just a bunch of what ifs in that game. But uh, any of the Nova guys catch your eye as uh, potential prospects? Because we already talked about the kids, people. Yeah, uh, Slater and Samuels have been interesting to me this year. But again, like more just they're guys I want to do like deeper dives on. Um, but I I don't have like a ton of Nova thoughts. Um, like I think Justin Moore was probably the most interesting guy that they have. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, just he got injured. Shit happens. Um, I hope that he's OK. Um but I mean, that, that Nova team was fun. Like I, uh, I, 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 I always have to like look at a different lens when I watch Villanova. Cause I don't typically enjoy their brand of basketball. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I think I texted you during that game. Like Nova is really just like running five, six, seven, super stiff athletes who all make really smart decisions. And that's kind of their, their brand. And, uh, it just, I don't know. I, it felt like their game plan was hopefully Kansas just not shooting well, but that 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 was a that was a gamble. Definitely not the case. I <laughs> <laughs> consider well. What did Kansas start like seven of seven of twelve I, from three or something? I like think that? seven. I mean, it was nuts. they might have they might have been seven from ten from three yeah, at like, the time, if I'm remembering a graphic correctly, which is yeah. nuts. And I mean, credit to Kansas too because their defense was was monstrous. Like Colin Gillespie uh, was was going through it in that game, like he kept just calling for a screen and like flip the screen, rescreen, do something because I can't fucking get anywhere. Like that was very fun to watch. Like, again, just shout out to Dewan Harris. Cause he was nutty. Um, do you have any other thoughts on this game? Cause I think we are, we already echoed some of our CB and, and yeah. I thought. Yes. I mean, I, I hate pigeonholing players into Europe because like, you never know, obviously you might have a cup of coffee in the NBA and stick around. If Colin Gillespie like ends up in the early league, I feel like he's just going to just be an absolute monster. Yeah. Um, he is a wild shooter for a guard. Let's say uh, I will say like he's Ryan Shadiakno has hung around the NBA, and Gillespie's a better player than him. In my so opinion. Gillespie, what I would say, I would say I agree with you. I, Gillespie as an Archidiakno stand in college, or, uh, Gillespie's better. Um, you heard I it here first, think... folks. Jake Rosen, <laughs> Ryan Archidiakno stand. So I have a, I have a Ryan Archidiakno jersey from China. So Jesus Christ. Um, and so Gillespie's a better player, two-time Big East Player of the Year. Um, I think Arch might have won it like his senior year, but mm-hmm. Gillespie undoubtedly a better player and like carried a bigger usage load, was a better scorer. But yeah, yeah, we don't need to go on. I do think there is like something to be said for Arch's like role being somewhat more attainable as like a backup point That's guard who's point. just a ta- who's just a table setter and like plays good defense and you know isn't necessarily demanding the ball to take tough shots versus Gillespie's like a, 
I'm gonna post the shit out of you. And yeah, like a slight, like yeah. a like a slightly yeah. worse Peyton Pritchard from an NBA perspective, just because the handle isn't like that. Um, and so I think that's in, like an interesting point when comparing the two. But yeah, Gillespie is 100 better. I, I wish he was like six five, and then could just be like run off a million screens and be Max Strauss, but uh, he's six two. Um, so, but thoroughly enjoyed Colin Gillespie's college career. I do think Slater is interesting if he decides to enter. Uh, the shooting historically in college has not been great. Uh, as someone who watched him on in high school, I'd be curious to get a hand on those numbers because anecdotally, he was a pretty good shooter uh, for Paul the Six and in the circuit with team takeover. Uh, the handling stuff uh, is tough sometimes. Uh, it, like forces it, the handle's loose. Um, the finishing was a little mad, but he showed up big time, especially as a shooter. And the defense is really fun. Uh, he's good, really good on the ball, super active off the ball, buys into his role. Obviously, lanky on the perimeter. So, I mean, he's something that I'm definitely keeping an eye out for in this year's draft. Maybe would be worth a second rounder. Um, I think I'm a little bit more interested in him than Samuels because. Yeah, Samuels is more like, I don't know what to think of his shot, but he is still. Yeah, to me, he is an interesting player, but yeah, it just depends. I think I trust Slater a little bit more because I think of him as like a wing. Like I think Slater can be a wing, uh, like not in terms of creating at all, but mm-hmm. defending wings and spacing the floor like a true wing versus Samuels is more of a four to me. Uh, and I wish the shot release was like a little bit quicker and offered a little bit more versatility. I'm not sure the scoring translates as seamlessly, but again, productive players made a ton of strides, especially offensively throughout his career. So fun Nova team. Uh, again, I really wish they had Justin. Uh, they clearly missed him, especially Early in that game, it was like really obvious that they missed having their second best creator and shot maker on the floor. So I definitely wish for obviously for his sake and um, for Nova's sake that they would have a fair shot to be healthy and compete. But uh, Kansas shot the lights out and played damn good defense, and that'll usually get it done. So I'm trying to think: is this Villanova team were they? Is it okay? So if you remove Mitch Lightfoot and Jalen Coleman lands. Uh, this was the old. This was by far the oldest team in the tournament, right? Like I'm trying to think, like Miami, Miami. Every, oh, true. Uh, never mind. Miami. I think Miami's average starting line of age is like 23 years old, which is Jesus nuts. <laughs> that but Miami no. team. Okay, I gotta ask you though about the seating. How did you feel about the way that the seating shook out? Like I know this is going way, way back, and it's easy to do retrospective stuff, but um, it just felt like UNC and Miami were clearly better than eight and ten seeds at the time. And they had bad balls. What I will say is like the ACC's resume was not great. That is and fair. like the ACC was kind both of, of those teams, like, like this is the same. And obviously a few things have aged as poorly as this with three elite eight teams and two final four teams is like the hashtag one bit ACC um, that was trending around January, yeah. early February ish. But when your whole conference is kind of viewed as shitty and then you lose to teams that are like in the middling and towards the bottom of your conference, those are bad losses. Um, like you don't have the luxury of being in the big 12 where your road loss is usually not that bad because every team is relatively good. And uh, I think the ACC's obviously have more talent than we anticipated, but in terms of resume perspective, like, I don't know if it's fair to say they're underseated. Um, I just think they all started playing really well, especially UNC. Like you, UNC was obviously not playing like an eight seed. And this is why the, the committee job is like so tough. It's like UNC was not playing like an eight seed from the moment that they beat Duke and Cameron and Stadium, but yeah. their resume was that of an eight seed. Um, so yeah, super tough. I, I thought um, Baylor caught a raw draw in, in their region, um, especially seeing them. Same could be said for Gonzaga. You know, Memphis was 
was Memphis playing like an eight seed at that time? Probably not. Um, but did the resume say so? Likely. Um, but I don't know. It's tough to defend the committee when Houston was a five seed. So we'll, we'll end it there. Yeah, no, exactly. I just want to bring it up because I know a lot of other people had, had mentioned it too. I, I'm, I'm there with you. Like, it's really hard to do some of this stuff. Like, same thing with like, okay, if you want to pull Ohio State, like Ohio State was probably better than a seven seed if, but again, injuries were, was bullshit this year. Injuries happen. Like, and that's part of what happens. It's going to be the same thing that happens with the NBA playoffs. Like, what happens throughout the years, what gets you there, you just deal with it when you get there and there's not really a lot you can do about it because otherwise you're discounting a bunch of things that did happen and and resulted in the seeding. So we're in the same boat. Uh, do you want to talk about Carolina Duke? Yeah, I mean, that you kind of knew it. I mean, we like I wrote about this uh, in my little thing for Shrebro. It, it kind of just felt like a game of that magnitude. We'd never seen it before. Obviously, you'd seen – one versus two or one versus one, uh, obviously like the Kentucky team um, that was undefeated heading into the final four, but none felt like they had like the non-basketball implications of this one, which is like the two most bitter rivals in college basketball meeting for the first time in the postseason. coach K's last game, potential number one pick on one side, uh, scorching hot team on the other that had also just ruined their senior day slash coach K's last game in Cameron. Like there were so many variables that just made this game so, so big. And when you have a game of that magnitude, like all you can do is hope that the actual game, the actual basketball lives up to it. And uh, boy, did this one live up to it. Like what a game, um, just heavyweight punches on both sides. Uh, I, th I thought Duke probably should have won the game still. Uh, and I thought they did some things that, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say out of character, but just betray themselves a little bit, uh, betray their best player a little bit, even though he did struggle down the stretch. And you, I don't want to be naive to that. Let's talk about this game because uh, UNC definitely, uh, I mean, obviously Caleb Love making that shot over Mark Williams, um, but there were some questionable things that happened in the game. I, I want to hear what your thoughts before we like fully dive into it. Yeah, um, I, I have I have many. Um, if we had to power rank the prospects in this game and the games that they had. Oh no, that's see that that seems unfair. But I mean obviously I like Powell had probably the best game. Mark Will second, Wendell third, AJ. I'd put by the way, I'd there. put I'd put Keels at two. Oh yes, my bad. I'm thinking guys who started not off the bench. But um this was a very rough, rough game for for non Palo Mark Will prospects and 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 Keels too. Like point being Wendell Moore and and AJ uh really struggled like I think to be fair like Wendell missed a couple of uh just easy looks around the rim that I think he would normally make um but Baycott was really good on the inside too um but AJ like I think somebody asked me like what the hell happened to AJ Griffin in that game and I was like leaky black like and I think you saw mm -hmm. some of the um issues a little bit so where are you at with how AJ played in that game and why he struggled? Yeah, I mean, well, Leaky gave him a ton of trouble in, the, in their last game. Uh, after AJ went absolutely crazy in the Dean Dome, um, Leaky was on him for the next one and gave him trouble. And uh, it's everything that would give AJ fits. Um, AJ is super slow. Like, this is something we've talked about. He doesn't have a lot of downhill burst. And the handle... While he has some flashes of, of creation, it's mainly east-west and side-to-side -side stuff. It's not necessarily getting north-south and downhill and gaining an advantage on your on-ball defender. And uh, the shots just didn't fall. I mean, he AJ missed 
it ultimately came down to like him just missing threes that sometimes he makes. Um, but the misses were weirdly all over the place. Um, I had a couple of bad ones that I, I took note of. But I think the on-ball stuff, like AJ has had a lot of games similar to this where he just gets completely shut off on the ball, but he typically makes threes to kind of buoy his performance and what he brings to the table because obviously the main selling point of him is three-point shooting. The three-point shot just wasn't there. And I think you kind of, I think, I don't want to say it gave me cold feet because this is kind of what we've been talking about for the past couple of months, but it I think might give some people cold feet of like, Hey, what is it? What does it look like when you're faced with NBA athleticism on the wings? And like, I just want to say, I hate when people say like, Oh, NBA athleticism, like Leaky would be like a good wing defense. Like, like is I a actually think wing just, like he's somebody who I think boosted his stock a little bit in the tournament, just getting to mm-hmm. play against a bunch of NBA prospects. Like um, again, a lot is going to be canny and Willie shoot, but also yeah. like he's a quality ball handler and passer for his size um and he's really damn good defensive like you mentioned like i think he's Incredible. he's going to get it he'll probably be an undrafted two-way guy but i mean it's possible he goes in the second round too um mm-hmm. just given that a lot of deals get struck before you know with guys not uh not on it actually going in the second round but um yeah. point being like real legit Re- nba that's rotation. an nba yeah. i would say like nba rotation level defender if yeah. not like good nba wing defender um like if it wasn't for the offense and we could sub offense defense leaky would be on an nba floor to play defense so i don't want to just say like oh he saw length and size for the first time and couldn't do anything like leaky is very legit i don't want to take anything away from them however the ajg creation stuff was non-existent in that game and there's like kind of no way else around that uh I thought he was a little bit of an afterthought, you know, Duke has gotten into a really good habit of running him off these pin downs where defenders are forced to lock and trail because of the shooting and he's able to get downhill against slow footed bigs. We didn't see a ton of that. Uh, they didn't really leverage him. It felt like it was a lot of ISO Paulo um, keels creating off closeouts and Wendell Moore in the half court. And part of me do wish it, part of me wishes that they would have kind of gotten creative and getting AJG involved and leveraging his shooting to kind of bolster the creation rather than, letting Wendell Moore rock out, but it, it, it goes to show you that if you're going to w- use a top six, seven, or even five pick uh, on someone, there are real limitations there. Well, I do think it's tough too, because I don't, I don't want to say that I don't entirely agree about Wendell Moore rocking on the half court, but it was more like Jeremy Roach could not get anything going in this game. And that was, again, that was part of Duke's success was Jeremy Roach looking like prospect Jeremy Roach in yep. um, in most of the tournament. And he kind of got shut down, um, struggled, missed a bunch of stuff at the rim. Didn't, 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 I don't think he hit a single three in this game. If I remember he was over right. five from three, which yeah. was big, um, which was not good. Obviously got mm-hmm. to the line a little bit, but still that wasn't enough. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned a lot, it just kind of evolved into Paolo isolation and when Wendell trying to get stuff going on a pick and roll, which was just not working. Um, can we have the win on more discussion? Cause I know I'm higher on him than you are. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I still just see it with him as a prospect at a, at a high level, like reasonably high level. Like I think taking him like between 20 to 25 is fine with me. Like I really like him as a secondary wing in the NBA, probably not a starter. Um, but somebody, a, a lot will depend on the shot. And I think if I had the same background of watching him the last two years before this, um, I maybe wouldn't be as high on him, but I do think so. I'm not helping my case here, but like I do believe in the shot. Like I believe in him getting to a one or two dribble pull up on the inside. I believe in him coming off of the pin down and hitting from the corner. I believe in him in relocation. Like I thought he was really good in the Texas Tech game, even if he wasn't like um, 
incredible. Uh, like I think he only had like 12 points in the Texas Tech game, but was really good in transition, did a lot of stuff moving off the ball that I think um, made me feel even better about him as a half-court player. Or not even better, but like re- re-solidified some of that for me. Obviously, does not need to have 24, 25% usage and won't have that in the NBA. No. But I do think like once you saw Duke actually getting into stuff that made more sense with Paolo initiating from the mid post or, you know, like, especially in the, that second half of the Texas tech game, a lot of it was okay. Paolo is going to like, we're, we're doing, they, they opened everything up out of elevator screens in the second half to get Paolo the ball, which I just wish they'd done in the first half, but you know, point being, but once they started doing that, I felt like things made more sense in the half court, the defense, not good. But so, we'll talk about that with Paolo too. But yeah, go ahead. So um, Wendell Moore, our friend Zach Miller made a really good point that's kind of stuck with me. And I try to stay away from the comps, but like this one, I think it's real. And, you know, it's kind of – so he said there's a lot of things, obviously different players, different skill sets, but comparing to someone like Ayo Desumu, uh, in, in terms of as someone who didn't think Ayo was necessarily an NBA player, and boy, have I been wrong, especially in his rookie year, because you get so caught up in is he on the ball, is he off the ball, is he going to shoot it? Uh, he's not necessarily creating advantages, but like – Point being, he's just a really damn good complimentary basketball player who, like, figures it out, knows when to pick his spots, can get to the rim, and, like, if the shot's falling, it's just going to be another good player to have in a, as a cog in your rotation. And I do think there is something to be said if Wendell Moore's shooting is real for him to do that. And just, like, be a wing who, if if he ropes into sec- some second-side pick-and-roll, I trust him to maybe do that. Uh, attacking closeouts, getting downhill. What I will say is the slashing is super real. Uh, he is really good finishing craft, knows how to use length around the rim, has a decent frame, can absorb contact. Um, I, I am. I think the passing, I think I overrated it a little bit in the beginning of the year. He isn't necessarily like a plus-plus passer, and I tend to find that he misses some reads that I, I wish that a wing of his archetype would make. I do want to talk about the defense, but like offensively, if he's going to shoot as well as he is, I I do think there could be a pathway for him. I'm not saying he's going to be IO. I'm not saying he's going to be on a first or second all rookie team. Like it looks like IO is going to be, but it's kind of in the same vein of these high usage college players getting scaled down and being, and allowing them to then pick their spots more rather than kind of overextending them because their teammates, they didn't have teammates that could bend the defense or create, um, uh, let's talk about the defense, though. Yeah, because this will this will filter into talking about Powell too. Um, yeah, like the defense from 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 Moore is not good. The off ball is bad. Um, I do he, think he can be okay in the point had, of attack, but his screen navigation isn't great. Um, off ball, it's his frame, um, but also it's just it's not good. Yeah, off ball. Uh, in perhaps one of the, the second biggest shot of the game. Um, obviously Caleb loves pull up three, which will be played for years, decades to come. Mm-hmm. Um, the one before that. Brady Manic, small loop relocation, just rising from the corner to the wing. And that's Wendell Moore wasn't fully asleep. It was able to recover and contest a little bit, but that half a second late, half a second of ball watching, allowing Brady to, to re- relocate. And obviously we know all he, he needs a sliver of space. I, I don't want to say that like epitomized everything, but on the second biggest defensive possession or, or third, because they had one more in between that yeah, it was of Duke season. Um, he fell asleep at the wheel for just long enough. And I was kind of just watching it live. And it's like, damn, it's like the one thing you can't do um, when you're guarding and the defender is getting someone to the paint and you're in that strong side corner, you got to stay alert. And uh, he lost them. And it was a big time shot from UNC. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's the kind of thing where like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, this is why I want to leak into talking about Paolo too. Cause I know the big talking point is going to be the defense with him. Um, and I like, I don't know. I think to me, the defense almost matters more for Wendell um, or Wendell. I should say, geez, I'm, I'm so more. used to talking about what? No, way more. Like, yeah, it's just because we're going to talk about the, we're going to talk about the Paolo. Yeah. Thing. We'll, yeah we'll, I, we will. But um, in terms of just like talking about college translation from, from, for defense to, to, to the next level. Um, I don't know. It, like, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where I'm at with that. Cause we just have seen some guys go from like kind of, shit defenders in college like oh hey like i'm putting in a better scheme and i look a lot better and i'm in a smaller role and i am actually you know kind of giving effort now but um not that guys don't give effort but i I don't think wendell's issue is is effort but it's just like which that's part of the problem too like he's just he's falling asleep on stuff like like i i'm trying to remember who brought this up with donovan mitchell but like i don't think it's that donovan mitchell is necessarily like actively not trying to play defense but he just ball watches a lot like that's how he does things like he that's sometimes just how guys see the floor and it's not it's not necessarily just a oh this guy isn't trying thing like i'm going to effort my way to being a good defender at the next level like it's not that simple um so again for wendell who is not bringing the same offensive value definitely is uh is more troublesome um but oh sorry go ahead no, no, I just want to harp on it. It's such a good point is that like we always think of defense as effort based. And while you could 100% go from like being a bad defender to like maybe passable if you really give a shit. Like we do know that uh, there is a certain effort and engagement when it, that comes with being a defender, especially like on the ball, off the ball, screen navigation. But there's like skill that goes into this there's a reason why like the best defenders are consistently the best defenders and it's like always a little bit weird to me it's like we talk about court mapping and playmaking as like they're just there's an upper echelon of nba players that can make certain passes because they see things that everyone else doesn't in the timing that no one else does and like the same thing goes for defense you make rotations you make reads and yes maybe they're more scheme scheme based and teachable and you can premeditate them a little bit more but like Wendell's just not necessarily seeing these things and I think this is like a good translation into Paulo because Paulo is high field like this is Paulo is a high field basketball player the pitch for Paulo when he was in 10th grade was a two-way defensive minded secondary rim protector who was extremely efficient offense we've now turned into like this mega creator who is taking pull-up threes and like it's blowing my mind of how skilled he is the defensive effort was bad like that i'm not saying around like paulo was bad defensively there were many like there was one clip i pulled of him like attempting to close out transition it was just like terrible and that's in the final four in like the biggest game of his life so yes i i understand why that might make you feel uneasy but like in the nicest way possible like i don't give a shit like it's that's not why i'm drafting him and that's not why if you pass up on paulo and the offensive upside and what he could potentially bring to the table as a creator and in my mind a scalable superstar based on his ability to be a role man be a pop man play out of the mid post now the willingness to shoot catch and shoot threes as he's shown the quick closeout attacks like we are talking about a potential superstar that i don't know who you put on him to guard and i want to talk about how we maximize him offensively and a little bit after this but like the defensive stuff just like am i supposed to care 
Like, is that what's, is that if you are passing up on Paulo for another prospect, because you think the defense is going to be that big of a problem. Like I just don't agree with the process in the well, nicest way possible. My thing would be more of like, uh, maybe it's just how people are coming about um, what their issues are with the defense. Cause to me, it seemed more like people don't think that it's not, that, that he's not trying, which I think you and I are like, see it the same way. Like, I don't think that he was trying defensively, at least not to that level. Um, I'm not really worried about his lateral quickness or um, his lack, quote unquote, lack of rim protection. Like, I do think, like, when he shows it, he has good moments of verticality, um, can be good around the rim. Not obviously, he's not going to be a primary rim protector, but that's not, that's not his goal. Like, I don't really care if he's able to play the five defensively. I know some people will disagree with that. I just don't really see. I think we get way too obsessed with can he, can he play the five? It's like just, it's very annoying to me. But, um, like, I just think like watching him, it's never a, oh, I can't move laterally or anything like that. It's more like, oh, well, I took a really shitty path on this closeout or I didn't go full go on this closeout. And that's why I'm getting blown by. And he's never in a stance. I don't think he was in a stance once in that game. He was, he's been largely disinterested in the defensive side of the ball this entire year. And like, while I'm not washing my hands of that being an issue i just well, it's think it's the kind to- of thing where it's like if he'd never shown defensive interest in his prep career then i think you're more concerned but like considering that like like we talked about with pd in that episode in december like i mean his he came about as a defense first prospect and um so i'm i just it's not something that i'm really that worried about and maybe this will bite us in the ass in two or three years but i i don't think so and i'm willing to bet on that not biting us yep. in the ass i agree i i totally agree and like, it's, this is always, it always comes back to this. Like, I, man, I just wish we could have seen a summer of AAU with these guys because Paulo kind of went from uh, his, his, and you can watch the O'Day stuff, um, City of Palms when he was a junior, played A.J. Griffin, played Archie Davis, Archbishop Stepnack, played IMG, I think, and was operating in the post, ran a couple of pick and rolls just because O'Day didn't really have a couple of balls. And I was like, was a secondary rim protector, was a low man playing playing the four. And then the next time we saw him was for BFL prep. Um, I think he might have played like a game or two with Rotary, uh, but not necessarily in the context of EYBL and competition levels and things of that nature. With BFL prep, basically just telling him to be Carmelo Anthony and like running up and down. And while we've seen that that can be advantageous in some areas, like I think it broke stride. Like Paulo hasn't played defense, real defense in like two years, maybe more. And like, I think, you know, PD wrote earlier um, that, you know, the passing, it wasn't there. And then all of a sudden it was there. Like Paulo didn't forget how to pass. He just needs to remember how to. And like, you do that through live game reps. I don't think Paulo forgot how to play defense. He just needs to remember that he needs to play defense. And like, it's going to take a coach to tell him, lock the f back in like i'm not washing my hands of it like he was not very good on defense for the large portion of this year but it's his issues were very different from wendell in my opinion i've seen people say that paulo misses rotations and things of that nature like i personally disagree like i just don't think he gave a shit and like that's i'm not again like that is an issue to me it's just much more low-hanging fruit than not processing what's going on yeah no i'm there with you um Let's talk about the offense, too, because Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's been really awesome in the tournament and what I wrote about with that Texas Tech game, not to keep harping back on it, but, like, um, I think we've seen him be a lot more active as an off-ball player, which has been really enticing. So Um, much better. Like, it's it's awesome. Like, he's doing stuff on relocation. He was doing a little bit more as a screener. 
Um, we've just seen him be, uh, and I think part of it too was Duke being a little bit more inventive with game planning. Um, but I mean, ultimately, he just looked. He, I mean, he's offensively, he's been really impressive. I did. I will say though, in the in the Carolina game, uh, I think part of it was just how much everybody else was struggling offensively, but it became a lot of Paolo go isolate this guy and see what happens. And he was really damn good in it, but also like, that's just, you're not doing a lot offensively to actually put everybody in good positions. And I think that hurt them down the stretch. So I think Paolo kind of as good as he was and in the, for large portions of that game, I think he had a later in the game went away from what makes him so unguardable, which is the versatility and, and yeah. stretching you out to then punish you with strength while you're retreating downhill. It was, and this has kind of been my issue. Um, a lot of times we've heard Paulo's just so unstoppable inside, just go inside, go inside, go inside. And it's like, no, then you become predictable as hell. And yep. like, you're not leveraging what makes you so good, which is the fact that you're 6'10, you can so space the catch and today. Like, there's real versatility. And even if it's like, quote unquote, a less efficient shot, like making thank the you, defense guard you. you the entire, you. You, have to, you have to force the defense to actually care about what you're doing across the entire floor because if you're if the defense knows all right all you're going to do is try and post up somebody who's six foot nine six foot ten take them off the bounce they'll be like okay we'll send late help and hopefully you'll miss a couple and then we know you're going to keep that's, doing it and that's what happened in, in the carolina that's what happened. game like and that's what happened brady manic like i i know that he's he's like very gangly looking and looks like he can down <laughs> easily and Paolo did eat his lunch quite a few times but like Okay, Armando Baycott's r- rotating over because Mark Williams is just sitting in the dunker spot, or um, you know, like maybe roaming a little bit in the paint. And uh, I just, yeah, I- I'm there with you. I-, I didn't, I really did not like the way that Duke set him up in that game. And and, and I mean, it's Duke set him up, and Paulo forced the issue a little bit inside. Yeah. Like it, it's just. In a two ways, we're going to hold all these prospects to the same standard. Paulo forced the issue inside. Um, what I have loved Duke to run like an inverted pick and roll or with like him and Wendell or something. Absolutely. But it didn't happen. And Paulo didn't recognize that he was kind of just being a bull in a China shop down low against disciplined help and didn't, and kept forcing the issue. But again, this is what I was getting at. Like Paulo taking pull-up mid-ranges matters. Paulo taking pull-up threes matters. Him getting up a bunch of threes, it all matters because it makes the defense respect you because then they close out and he rips and he's dunking. Like if you you lose what makes him special, if you just pigeonhole him into quote unquote what he's best at, which is just like punishing dudes down low and drawing multiple defenders and then hitting drop-offs or spraying out skip passes. Yes, like technically is that what he's best at? Yes. But when you just go all in on that and don't make the defense respect you or stretch you, like you're just going to allow them to wall up and hope for the best. And they did. And he missed. And like, he was overwhelmed inside. And I did think, you know, in a vacuum, yes, what Paulo is best at punishing dudes uh, with the frame and the touch and the footwork in a vacuum. That is what he's best at. However, from a granular perspective, what he's really best at is just like hitting you with eight different things from four different locations on the floor in a span of five minutes. And you're like, what, what the hell am I supposed to do? And the coach is like, who the hell is supposed to check all these boxes? And the answer is you can't when he's at his best. And I did think it was from Duke and from Paulo's perspective, uh, a little underwhelming to see them kind of just trying to pet, like jam the square into a, like in, a square pet into a round hole, like whatever the analogy is. And just like not take a, like a step back and be like, whoa, like, Let's make them think a little bit. Yeah, um, I'm there with you. Um, do you want to transition to talk about Mark Williams? 
What did you think of him in this game? No, I think it's tough because it's it's really hard. I, we can have a conversation about coaches sitting guys for 15 minutes with two fouls till we're blue in the face. Um, obviously, Markwell didn't really help his case because he picked up two quick ones when he went back in the second half. Um, I just think it's tough. Like, he never got a rhythm. Like, he played, like, 17 minutes, um, was fouling, had a couple of questionable fouls, like, in, on defense. Um, I mean, he had to put, like, a couple dunks and putbacks. Like, I, I don't – it wasn't – I struggle to like really take anything away. Um, I don't really think he could get into any type of rhythm. Um, did you have any more like concrete thoughts? Not really. Um, like I thought he, he was pretty good defensively when he was able to play. It was just the fouls was definitely an issue. Um, but again, like taking him out early felt like it really took him. It, it made it impossible for him to get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. And it's just frustrating too, because he was, I mean, he'd been so good this entire tournament run. Uh, tough way for the tournament to close out for him. Um, I guess one thing I will ask you though, where are you at with him as, uh, as like a short role playmaker and just his ability, not even that he's a playmaker, but his just ability, even if he is able to make decisions, cause I to do make think, decisions. Yeah. Um, I thought he was overall really good in the Texas tech game, but, um, when Texas, like, okay, so Texas tech playing no middle, if he caught the ball, he was getting two to the ball. Like, I do think you, sh- you saw a lot of the, um, and not that this can't be worked on, but like I think you saw a lot of the processing stuff there where it was like, oh, okay, this isn't this is not awesome. Like, and not that he has to be, but I do think in time, like ideally he's going to be a lot better at that. Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely a bigger room for improvement for him. Um, but I do think like the red that there is a context in which he'll be given opportunities to make those reads like defenses are going to have to respect the hell out of him on the roll he is mm-hmm. a legit lob threat and what i like most about him is he has some touch in, in yeah the he paint. does have very good touch i want to bring that up and and so like if he is called on the short roll you're not going to be able to just like stay home and and just like hope that he like fumbles it into a turnover or misses it like he's real offensive skill which i think is going to aid him when he's operating on an advantage as the roller um just in this certain scenario to then be given certain reads and i'm not like saying that it's oh like he's going to draw rotations and he'll automatically know where to spray the ball to like that's hard stuff to do especially when you're seven feet tall but like the when i'm the difference between him and someone like coloco to me is that like Coloco is still needs to ascend to that next level where he like is comfortable catching it, putting it, taking one dribble and hitting like a little turnaround post hook. Mark can already do that. So I think we can just like rely on him to score and be a play finisher early on, wait for defenses to kind of catch on to that and respect him. And then we can slowly build up to these reads. Um, I just kind of like his foundation as a roller and a play finisher a lot that I'm willing to kind of bet that over time um, he kind of figures out to some extent. Now, I don't know. I don't, he's not necessarily like high. He just probably shown like no, I mean, he's been better as a playmaker compared to last year, but not necessarily anything. Uh, crazy especially like big man passers that we've seen yeah but and I, I think, my point is that like i like the foundation that he's working yeah with. yeah no i'm in the same boat um part of what i think is important too like when we're talking about some of these guys i don't like i mean you know i don't love just like chalking everything up the archetype but like i think of it more like okay like let's look at somebody like mitchell robinson who is a really quality defender he's been inconsistent obviously partially due to injury but um turn it up a little bit of, of late but like he is not a good finisher um, outside of dunks and lobs, oh, like, yeah. and I think that's what what you, where you see a separation because, like, 
if Williams was not able to, like you mentioned, if he wasn't able to do um, like, he's not somebody who I think can catch the ball and then take a, uh, like, like do anything North South with a dribble. Like, at least I feel like we really have not seen that much of that. Um, but like you mentioned, okay, if he gets a seal, he's able to take one dribble and get the ball up and he does it really quickly too, which is nice to see. Um, like that's not something that even like Mitchell Robinson is that great at right now. And I think he's somebody who like has not that he would be defensive player of the year, but last year he got some DPO DPO buzz because of what he can do defensively. And there are still some issues with putting him on the floor because of uh, like you or not even issues. I, sh- I should say, but like you have to do so much with your offense to make it more viable to have him out there because if he's not, if he's not in the dunker spot or getting opportunities for lobs, it makes it tough. So like, that's where, you know, talking about like Williams and Coloco, um, and Walker Kessler is really important because having the ability to um, make the defense care, even if you're not um, going to necessarily be taking shots, important. Uh, what do you think about Mark Will's defense projection? I think it's good, not great. I don't think he's a guy who I ever view as being switchable. Um, maybe some people disagree with that. Like he has mobility, but he just has really high hips. Um so like maybe if some so like that's just not something that I think we're going to see ironed out. And I don't think he has foot speed to really match up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think like if he works in hand activity and he starts doing some things uh, to just, you know, like learning the ins and outs of of playing um, playing defense, like I could see him being like a real semi coverage versatile guy, like somebody could come up and play close to the level um, or playing uh, like more in center field. Um, and I, I think, I mean, he's shown real ability as a drop defender too, obviously like that Duke's entire defense was Mark Williams save us. Um, so I, I like, I don't, again, I don't think that he's like the most covered versatile guy or anything, but I think he shows enough where I'm like, not that worried about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's why I was asking is like, to me, the pitch isn't necessarily covered versatile, like at least not initially, yeah. but like, if you're looking for a drop big who can do things on the roll and just be huge and you have creators who are looking for lob threats like that's your guy um like the drop stuff is real um to me at least he's not necessarily like the he doesn't have the lightest feed doesn't have the quickest pop time but like one thing he does he's freaking ginormous and like the wingspan the length and he knows how to get vertical uh he was great contesting and altering shots around the rim all year um so yeah, that's what I was just asking. I, I think he's someone that's very. Uh, it could be team team by team. Uh, obviously, it doesn't fit your scheme. If you already have centers or you're looking to play through your bigs a little bit more, that's not necessarily someone you're going to want to prioritize. But uh, there are definitely teams out there that backup centers are like a massive hole, as we've spoken about. No such thing as replaceable. If you're an NBA player, you're an NBA player. And uh, I think Mark Will has a really projectable and, and valuable skill set to me uh, at the next level. Yeah, he's somebody who I think I need to move up my where I'm at with him theoretically a little bit, um, just because I do think like right now to me, I view him as even if he does make a couple strides, like to me, he's probably more of like a 20 minute per game guy, like your first pick off the bench who gives you some ability to, to play with more size. Um, but again, like we mentioned, if some stuff does come along with short rollability, um, or he is able to, to generate some more stuff on the inside or like, there is like, like, I don't know if I see it, but like, maybe if there is something that comes along with like, okay, a 10 foot jumper or something like just like a quick, something quick to, to make the defense pay for leaving you open. I do think if he's able to develop more of that stuff, then there is a chance for him to be a starter, which is why I probably do need to move him up a little bit, but, 
Um, yeah, I feel like we're definitely in the same boat with him. Did you want to hit on Keels at all? I know we we hit on Keels quite yeah. a bit earlier. Um, I he kept them in the game and yeah, like he was, was he was their second best player, uh, no like full stop, and at times was their best player. Um, obviously Paulo is Paulo, but Keels made a ton of big plays, hit a couple of big threes. Um. You know what I like about it? Like he hasn't really shot the ball well this year. Uh, and Kay has been even said it in one of his like in-game interviews, which like Trevor hasn't been playing that well for us lately, but like he had a big shot. I think it was in like the sweet 16 or elite eight game. And he hit a ginormous three with about two minutes left and stepped right into it with no hesitation. And like that stuff matters to me. Um, it hasn't been, especially in like contrast, someone like Christian Brown, which we were talking about earlier. Uh, the creation stuff, like it wasn't anything new. Um, he had a really good inside hand craft finish, but like, is it necessarily getting all the way to the rim and all of a sudden elevating over people? It's getting to the paint, using strength, creating a little bit of space, and then relying on touch for the, on these little push shots or or getting it use, using some finishing craft. But um, I thought it, it's ultimately going to depend on the shooting because, uh, and we're I, again, we're I was talking to Zach Milner. Uh, off the show and we we're sec- talking about how like kills the skill set is very advantageous and pretty good for like a shooter like a shooting guard and a shooting role uh i like the handling is good as a complementary skill the finishing and inside and in between scoring is good as a complementary skill like you're not getting him to be a slasher or secondary creator it's a floor spacer and then can attack closeouts run secondary actions make up passing reads here and there and uh, so I think we can harp on it till the death, but like a lot of it's going to be predicated on the shooting. However, it was really good to see him score the ball inside the arc, get into the paint and use the tools he does have. Yep. Nope. I'm right there with you. Um, do you want to hit on any other guys before we get out of here? So I think uh, no, that was not a work. Yeah, that was kind of, that was, yeah, that was just a bit, it, which was a lot. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of basketball. It was a great end. It was a great basketball weekend, honestly. Like, I, I do feel like we got three good basketball games uh, with the national championship being coming down to the final possession. Uh, you can't ask for anything more than that. Yeah. No, I agree, man. Well, we will have uh, a lot more stuff coming uh, moving forward. Um, appreciate everyone for listening. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want to hear from you. Send us any questions, comments, thoughts. Um, we really do want your feedback. We want to know what you think. Um, Jake, this has been fun. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. Most importantly, have a good rest of your day.